Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to Tax Tuesday, guys, as the room fills up. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. And you are listening and watching Tax Tuesday, where we bring tax knowledge to the masses. So let's get a little list of where everybody's from, since it takes a little while for everybody to get into the room, because there's a lot of you out there. Where is, give me a city state. So oh, Tacoma, Washington, we have an office up there. Indiana, Newton, Missouri. Oh my God, Tucson. Arizona, Georgetown, Texas. Oh, that's right outside of Austin, I believe. There's California, Hot Spring. Oh, wow, now they're just flying by. Maryland, Houston, Oklahoma City, Las Vegas, Riverton, Wyoming. Hey, Victor. Welcome. Eagle Mountain. That sounds so pretty. Uh, El Paso, Texas, Allentown. We love El Paso. The Woodlands, just to the north of Houston. Know that area. Kahlua, Hawaii. Nice. Treasure Island, Florida. Treasure Island. That's cool. Mooresville, North Carolina. We got Charleston, South Carolina. Beautiful. Randallstown, Maryland, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Larkspur, Colorado. We got a lot of folks on. So we're just going to dive right on it from all over the country. That's what we like to see. Uh, Central Texas here. There's Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Nice to see. Nice to see your name. So your name keeps popping up. You're doing awesome. Uh, we got Tampa in the house, Conway, Arkansas. We got Florida. Just someone says Florida. I'm like that's a big state. We got more from Houston. Uh, Atilo, is that right? Atilio, Atilio, Alaska. I've never heard of Atilio. Do you know Atilio? I do not. Where? That's Houston. So Atilio, Houston. There we go. Uh, no, that's his name. <laughs> I was like, is that a city? This is cool. So it's Houston. I was like, where is Atelio Houston? He's in Houston. <laughs> yes, apparently. <laughs> San Jose, California. We've been drinking a lot. This is coffee. Mm. All right, let's dive in. We got a lot to go over because somebody picked too many questions to go over today. Sorry. You didn't pick any. I know I didn't. You're so lucky. There's like Hundreds of these questions coming in every week, and our guys are doing just a great job getting in. Hey, there's uh, Minnesota Key, Florida. Minnesota. There we go. I love the keys. Anything that says keys down there, you can go either side of the state, too. It's just gorgeous. Ask live questions via the QA feature. There's a question and answer. By the way, we have, let's see, who do we have? We got Ander. I know we have Patty. We have Matthew that are doing all the tech stuff. and making sure that you guys get your questions answered. But we also have attorney Elliot Thomas. I know that we have a bunch of accountants, including Dana Cummings, Christo Zadas, Dutch is on. There's Troy, Pyle. Like you guys have some high horsepower on a bunch of CPAs and accountants and attorneys here to answer your questions. And you put the questions in the question and answer. So if you have a long question that's pertaining to your situation, put it in the question and answer. If you have a comment, put it in the chat. And a comment could be, Jeff looks good today. So you do look good today. 
I got a nice shirt on. It's like the calm before the storm. This is Jeff before tax season. After tax season, after April 15th, the first tax season, because tax season for us is all year round, we're going to have another picture of you. We should do like a hair count and okay. see who comes closest to the right number of hairs see, left. See, it's like, see, Shelly thinks you look good today. See, that's how you use chat. You let Jeff know he looks good. Hey, if you have any questions, uh, email them in via Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. Uh, somebody says, you do look good. We are going to have the count. I'm starting to lose my hair. I got to get away from the uh, the tax folks. We're just going to. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's contagious. Your hair just falls out. All right. If you need a detailed response, like if it's something serious uh, about a specific tax situation to you, at some point you may have to become a client uh, because we don't want to answer and get uh, liability for nothing. Uh, so we'll make sure that uh, that we get back to you no matter what. This is supposed to be fun. Taxes can be fun. They're annoying as heck, but it's a treasure trove if you start to enjoy it and look at it. Uh, this is fast, fun, and educational. So, you know, we've been doing this for years. We've been teaching classes for 25 years. Jeff, how long have you been a CPA again? 32 years. So for 32 years, Jeff has been annoying others at family gatherings about selling them. This is, oh, oh you did what? Isn't that your favorite thing to do? I could have saved you money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe you did that. Yeah, that call, call me next time. No, that's the half, half the fun. It's just giving somebody that look. Oh, my God. You What? Mm -hmm. All right. Can losses from real estate. These are all the questions today, guys. So we're just going to read them, read through them. And then we're going to go through them one by one. All right. So can losses from real estate syndications, for example, they said accelerated depreciation, which if you don't know about that, in your real estate investor, you need to know about that. We'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, be taken against active income, i.e. W-2, if you and your spouse are reps, which stands for real estate professional status, or are there more criteria to pass? So we'll go over that. Can I owner finance or lease purchase a property that currently, currently has a mortgage on my personal name and the deed is titled in my LLC? I don't touch these questions up guys every now and again there's a little grammar that makes me go hmm but basically if it's mortgage in your name titled in an llc can you own or finance or lease purchase so we'll get into that i have a nonprofit that provides affordable housing thank you very much for doing that it's sorely needed can the nonprofit invest in other avenues like private money lending real estate fund real estate notes question mark can it also partner in joint ventures with others in acquisition of property? Can my nonprofit partner with my LLC? Great questions. And, uh, we'll give you the answers. That's actually going to open up a whole can of worms, which is fun to go into. Trying to buy a short-term rental. If I sign for the loan personally and title the property in an LLC, would that be considered as mingling personal assets with LLC to break the corporate bail? Good question. We'll answer it. I receive PSU and PSU stock from the company I work for. PSU stands for, what is that? Performance. Uh, stock units. Stock units. Yeah, you're getting paid with stock. What are the advantages to net shares over funds at distribution? With net shares, I do not have cash taken from my account to cover the taxes. I only receive the number of shares after the equivalent shares have been sold to cover taxes. With funds at distribution, I receive all of my shares vested, but have cash withdrawn to pay taxes due. All insights are welcome. Good question. I don't think we've ever had a question like that. Before, mm -hmm. So it's a good one. 
All right. Drivers for Grubhub, DoorDash, et cetera. Can you document your starting and end your mileage from a central area as you are required at the start of a shift to be in an assigned area? Is that if this is not correct, how do you document or start your mileage at first food pickup to the last how you deliver to? Really good question. And I think a lot of you guys are probably doing that gig work. Is it printing money? Can I start filing taxes for LLCs I created for two of my rental homes, even though the real property deeds have not yet been transferred, recorded, filed to set LLCs? Good, good question. Jeff loves these types of questions. Right. I'm starting out in real estate. I saw you on GoGo's weekly meeting. GoGo is a client of mine. She's really cool, uh, really successful realtor. And I'm wondering if in my first year with very little in sales, should I register as an LLC tax as an S corp or file as I normally would? So that one's for all you realtors out there. You're going to want to keep your ears open because this affects you. And there's some really good rules there. In the part of Texas where I live, there are mother and daughter houses. If I purchase one as a primary residence and rent the side apartment, what are my options for tax savings? Am I able to write off expenses for that portion of the house, mortgage, taxes, utilities, et cetera? Am I able to depreciate that portion of the house? What is the best way to handle money that was gifted to children one and three years old? What to do with it so it doesn't affect them? now, but they could access it at 16 or 18 without penalties or fees. Good questions. And we have a few more because somebody went nuts. That's actually me. I couldn't help it. There was like a whole bunch of good questions. I was like, oh, let's answer this one too. We can sneak some in. These are easy. Can I sell my apartment building on an installment plan to avoid the large amount of taxes owed when I sell? Can I do a double escrow to accomplish this because I have a small loan on the property? Good question. Should my personal bank accounts and life insurance policy be owned by the same trust? Good question. A lot of you guys need to be perking your ears up for these. And then last but not least, are charitable contributions made from our partnership considered tax deductible? Really good questions today. A lot of different variations. So we have to dive in. Before we dive in, if you want to see replays of the Tax Tuesdays, we break them down and put them on our YouTube channel. So if you want to see gajillion questions that have been answered, like I don't even know what you, what Tax Tuesday we're on. We passed 100 a long time ago, so I have mm-hmm. no idea where we're at. No it's idea. a lot. But if you like looking at old Tax Tuesdays and look for questions, and also you can go back in time and see how we did. So, oh, <laughs> let's see, because we we, we've made predictions in the past actually pretty good uh but you can go to our youtube channel by all means subscribe please i like the subscriptions because then we know and all we do is we uh you put that little bell link and it'll let you know when something's up when something's put on the uh youtube the best part is that whenever there's a tax law change or whenever there's something pending we always throw stuff up up there yep make sure you're not doing anything crazy last year with the build back better whole bunch of people did a lot of crazy stuff because some advisor somewhere talked them into it because the laws were going to change. You know, it's kind of like falling for that a few times. Don't do that. You sit on your hands. The best thing you can do as an investor is take your hands and stick them underneath your butt cheeks. You just wait, <laughs> wait for things to happen. Try not to overthink it. All right, let's jump in. Two underthinkers right here. We do not overthink anything. We underthink it all. Get a, get a 10 page question and answer is eh, maybe <laughs> it depends. That's, that's what a uh, legal education is. 
spend all that money just so you could figure out that you could monetize. It depends. All right. Can losses from and losses from real estate syndications, i.e. accelerated depreciation, be taken against active income. So it's actually active ordinary income. Uh, if you and your spouse are real estate professionals, or are there more criteria to pass? Jeffrey, what do you think? So real estate syndications uh, are treated pretty much the same way that any other type of real estate property would be that, that's for rent. The, the nice thing about real estate professional is I can own the property and my wife can be the real estate professional. But if we're filing jointly our tax returns, mm-hmm. we're both real estate professionals as what far is as real estate. Like, what is, why does anybody care about real estate professional? Real estate professional is that oddity that we no longer deal with passive income. It's all non passive income. Yes. And in this case, if you uh, do the cost, they did the cost segregation, you have accelerated depreciation all. That's stuff that you can go ahead and deduct as a real estate professional that you may not be able to deduct as just somebody investing in real estate. Yeah. So if I make, let's say that I work for an employer, myself and my spouse, and we make $150,000 a year. And then I have a real estate investment. And let's say that I put in $25,000 into a syndication. A real estate syndication is a fancy way of saying a group of investors buying and taking down like an apartment complex or Mm -hmm. something. A lot of times we can accelerate the depreciation. A lot of people think, oh, I have to write off residential units for 27 and a half years, uh, non-residential units for 39 years, and they're stuck in that mindset. But actually, that's, the, that's not an appropriate methodology to use. It's an allowable methodology, and it's the default. Mm-hmm. But realistically, when you buy real estate, what you should be doing is having an engineer go through there and say, here's the portion that is five-year property, here's the portion that's seven-year property, here's the portion that's 15-year property, and then here's the structural property that's 27 or 39 years. And you end up writing it off much faster. Under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, they made that even tastier. Those That portion, which is usually about 30% of the improvement value, you could write off in one year if you want, or you could just pick and choose which one of those items? Do I want to write off the five-year property in one year? Do I want to write off the seven-year property in one year? How about the 15-year property in one year? I could do all of that and I can accelerate the depreciation. But what Jeff said is absolutely the case. Your passive losses cannot be used against your ordinary active income or your capital gains for that matter. They're only used against passive income. And if you have passive losses, you carry them forward. So sometimes you'll look at your tax return and we get this all the time. You'll have a taxpayer that says, I have these carry forward losses. I, I never lost money. And you're like, well, it's the losses that kick down off your real estate, the excess distribution or the excess uh, depreciation. Burden. There is a way to write it off. There's actually two ways to write off that excess depreciation. One is if you're an active participant in real estate and you make less than $150,000 a year, you can get up to $25,000 a year as a deduction. It phases out between 100 and 150,000. So you could actually, let's say you make 100,000 and you have real estate loss and it's 20 grand. Great, I'm gonna take a $20,000 loss against my return. Yay, I'm saving taxes. Even though I didn't really lose 20,000, I'm depreciating. Now there is recapture of that that you have to always be cognizant of. So in a syndication. It's like, it'll give you a big loss, but you may be recognizing that as recapture, although recapture is capped at 25,000. 
if it's ordinary, if it's on the uh, 27.5 or the 39-year property, or it could be the fair market value of that property as ordinary income if you're accelerating it or it's it's leftover useful life. They're going to look at that. So in this particular case, like Jeff said, I'm sorry to be long-winded because it's a complicated subject, but it really does. It's worth it to, to know this stuff. Jeff said, one spouse is the real estate professional. The whole return qualifies. Yeah. And I'm not going to dive into real estate professional, but one spouse has to hit and the hour requirement and the uh, percentage of time uh, that they spend on personal service requirement. Both spouses have to beat this thing called material participation. So here we have this syndication that's passing things down. And it really boils down to whether that syndication, whether you're a general partner in it, whether you're a manager in it, whether it's an LLC, or whether it's a limited partnership, all of those things have slightly different rules. Correct. And it all comes down to, are you materially participating in that activity? We can group all of your real estate activities as one activity. And that means that when that loss gets passed down off of one property, I can apply it against all of the others and then my other income if I qualify as real estate professional. Otherwise, I would have to meet the material participation on each property. And with a syndication, I'd have to be a manager. Right. Otherwise, I'd never do it. Yeah. As a limited partner, you're never going to qualify unless you're a real estate professional. If you are exactly. And if you are a limited partner, you can't meet the requirement unless you are a manager or unless you are exceeding 500 hours. Spouses combine 500 hours of material participation on all your real estate activities. I was just goofing around on Bigger Pockets, really good site. They goof this up so badly. Like every time somebody asks a question, you have five or six accountants and a bunch of laymen going in and they're, and they're always like, they always ask things like, can I write this off? You know, and the answer is always going to be like, well, it depends on your facts and circumstances and they're all over the place. It's like enough to make you lose your mind, but it really boils down to if you're a limited partner, you better have 500 hours of material participation. Now you add up both spouses on that and you group all your real estate activities, which has consequences. If you group your real estate activities, you got to make sure you don't have a whole bunch of lost carry forwards. So you're going to be a little bit ticked off that you're waiting to be able to take them until you dispose of all your properties or substantially all your properties. So long-winded answer. Can it be taken? Yes. It's easier if you're an LLC. It's easier if you're the if you're a manager. And if you're not, and it's a limited partner and you're and you're not a manager, you're looking at 500 hours on all your other real estate activities to be safe. So is it fair to say that if I just wanted to invest in, say, five syndications as a limited partner, mm-hmm. it would be very difficult to qualify for real estate professional? If that's all you did, it would be almost impossible. Yeah. So you'd have to qualify on your other properties and group them all. And if they group them all, then it's possible. I think you're really, you're asking for it. And by the way, the, the portion that I'm telling you is not in the code. It's in the regs, which is still law, but it's a little, like, usually you can't write off real. Uh, if you're a limited partner, you are passive period with a couple of little exceptions. And I, what I decided to you, there's two exceptions. You're a manager or uh, you're doing 500 hours. And I believe that there's a 10% gross rental uh, income 
that is also a limitation. So if it exceeds more than 10% of all your gross rents from all of your real estate, then you're also going to have an exclusion. So you just got to be prepared for that. So yeah, so annoying, long answer to what looks like a very simple question. Here's the real answer is you should talk to an accountant and let's get your facts so we can give you the, the, an accurate answer. And it's four o'clock. Good meeting. <laughs> right. Sorry about that. Guys. Hey, one question. Never know whether it's going to take all day. Can I owner finance or lease purchase a property that currently has a mortgage on it, uh, on it in my personal name and the deed is titled in my LLC? Jeff, what say you? Well, you could do this as a subject too. That is, they mm. take over the mortgage. They're not even taking over the mortgage on a sub too. They're buying it subject to the existing mortgage. Exactly. Uh, and, and I often say those wrong because uh, if you're well, taking, used to have assumable mortgages, right. you don't anymore. But back in the day, when Jeff was, and, and there's a little risk with that that you have to be prepared to jump in and pay the mortgage if your buyer stops making those payments because it's still in your name. Uh, now, what do you do with with the title in these cases? Doesn't matter. So you have a mortgage. You have a mortgage that's secured by yeah. You know, so the property's secured by this deed usually it's a deed mm -hmm. of trust or the mortgage that's what the lender cares about they don't care who's paying for it but if i loan jeff money and he in, on a property he puts it in an llc it do, doesn't matter to me at all sometimes a lender if you tell them and say yeah this is what i'm going to do they'll squawk but if you just do it they always just as long as somebody's paying for it and i purchased properties this way by the way when, when vegas was losing its mind in 2008 and everybody's running for cover there were some really good loans that were issued out of that time that were 2%-ish. And so I was buying properties, anything that had these really low mortgages on it, or somebody did a, a uh, not a refinance, but what is it called? Well, they, a modification. Oh, they, yeah. would, they would do these ridiculously low modifications. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it subject to that loan. I'll, we had a servicing company that you'd, just, you'd pay the servicing company. They'd make sure that it was allocated to the mortgage so that you weren't giving it to the previous uh, owner. So, you know, so you made sure it was going to cover that mortgage. Everybody's happy, you know? So yeah, you, the answer is yes, you can. <laughs> I have a nonprofit that provides affordable housing. Can the nonprofit invest in other avenues like private money lending, real estate funds, real estate notes, et cetera? Can it also partner in joint ventures with others and acquisitions of property? Can my nonprofit partner with my LLC? Oh, uh, one thing I see with this is a lot of these investments are are going to be subject to uh, unrelated business income tax, uh, which is potentially potentially. Yeah, there's like if you're doing private money lending, like you think that loaning to like one loan, do you think? Would... I, I don't think one loan would be. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's if you try to put the nonprofit into the business of lending. Yeah. So you, you want to make sure the nonprofit's doing its activities and that the monies and the profits are going towards its charitable activity, in this case, providing affordable housing. And there's bright line rules, by the way, if more than 70% of the rents are from low to moderate income housing, like Section 8 qualifies, that's a 501c3, that's a public charity. If that's the case, then you could be doing a lot of other activities as long as they're not active activities in which you materially participate. So private money lending. Mm -hmm. You could probably get away loaning some money out there with few, but if you if you start like you open up a division, hey, we're money lenders and we're doing hard money lending, expect it to be UBIT, just taxed at twenty one percent. How about the real estate fund? 
let's say they go into a real estate fund. You worried about that? I'm not as familiar with the real estate funds. Private placement, syndication. No, I think that's okay. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's okay. Yeah. Um, real estate notes, I start buying a note. So I'm going to get interest. Yeah. I mean, that's all investment income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as it's investment income and it's, you're using it for your charitable purpose, who cares? You're good. Oh, what about the nonprofit JVM with their own LC and others? Well, all right. So here's the deal. If you joint venture in property, then we still have to look at the 70% rule and what you're generating your income from. So if it's low to moderate income housing property, you can JVO to your heart's content. If you're flipping, you're going to start running up against UBIT again. If we're just acquiring properties, and let's say we're, we're JVing to buy an apartment complex and, mm-hmm. and most of that income that it's generating is low to moderate income housing, you're good. You just look at the, the HUD levels, by the way, in your area for that area to say whether or not it's underneath that threshold. So, you know, it could be a hundred and some thousand for a family in San Francisco, but it could, it could be 60,000 in another city in middle America, right? Can my nonprofit partner with my LLC? I'll say this. It depends. If you're a public charity and you do a conflict waiver and and it's reasonable, it can partner with your LLC. If it's a private foundation, no, period, full stop. So I know somebody says it always depends. It does, Sherry. It just depends on what kind of nonprofit it is. Nonprofit has, there's 29 flavors, right? It could be a business association. That would be different than if it's a 501c3, that's a charitable organization, which is different than if it's the Jeff Webb Memorial Foundation, right? Memorial, like if it's a private foundation, you cannot do deep business with it, period. You can't sell it a million dollar building for a dollar. That's the IRS's example. You can do zero business with it. You can get compensated, but you can't do outside business. Anything else on that one? Nope. See, now we're going fast. Trying to buy a short-term rental, which by the way, is huge right now. In Vegas, it is a ridiculous, like they are so, they're so limited in the amount of Airbnbs at something like $9,000 a month average. It's some ridiculous number. Somebody says, Jeff, be nice. See, they're being mean to me again. They're saying I'm going down rabbit holes again. I do like rabbit holes, right? So trying to buy a short-term rental. If I sign for the loan personally, entitle the property in an LLC, would that be considered as mingling? It's actually co-mingling, but mingling personal mingle, <laughs> mingling personal assets with an LLC to break up the uh, or break the corporate bail. No, that that doesn't really break the corporate bail. Uh, you should keep the transactions as separate as possible. But if, if you're just buying the property and then transferring it to the LLC, that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you start collecting rents and stuff like that. You want it coming into the real estate's bank account, not your own personal bank account. It's it's really tough to screw up the corporate bail in some states. Like you have to do, you have to just show disregard for it. So the old adage, I clerked for a judge, uh, Judge Hall up in King County, great judge, by the way. And she used to say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the same respect as you show something. You know, expect the court to give you the same amount of respect that you show. So uh, something that stuck with me a long time. So I used the phrase that uh, we'll give you, we'll give your business the same amount of respect that you do. So if you have 
a loan in your name, that doesn't mean you disrespected the entity. It's pretty commonplace. In fact, you're probably required, if it's especially if it's just a single family home, you put it in the LLC, great. As long as that LLC, you're treating it with respect, the court will. How do you disrespect an LLC? Is you go in there and you buy your groceries out of the LLC bank account. Or you, like if you don't have, like not having a bank account does not kill it, by the way. It's just a mm -hmm. factor. But let's just say that you just take all the money personally and there's no separation. You're not keeping books on it. The courts are likely to say that you're pretty disrespectful to that entity and we're going to treat it with disrespect. Now, not all states do that. Like in Nevada, you have to pretty much commit fraud with it and do illegal activities with it, really get pierced. Like it's going to be very seldom. And, you know, and you have quite often, sometimes a year, year and a half to fix it. So you can always go back in and create the paper trail if you didn't fix it and make it look nice. But, you know, it's, it's don't worry about it. If with, It is very common in real estate for you to buy a property and then transfer it in the LLC after. In fact, it's probably more the norm than people buying it in the LLC. You cannot get an LLC loan on just private. You just can't. They're going to they're, they're going to underwrite it to you. They're going to close in your name. And then sometimes that closing, the title company will transfer it into an LLC. Mm -hmm. But that loan's almost always you. When you do portfolio loans, it's vice versa. They will not let you close in your name. They want it going straight into an LLC. Nine times out of 10, that LLC is going to be owned by another LLC that they're using as the security, not even the properties. So they want to be able to take your business away from you that own all the properties, that own the business, own the other LLC that owns all the properties. If you can follow. Hey, mentioning sub two today. I didn't even think about that. We have a sub two event coming up on Saturday. So two of the parties that we work with over on the infinity side who do a ton of sub two. In fact, that's where they're most successful right now. They're in Texas. So all you Texans, you probably want to come in and listen, but we are going to be having an event on Saturday. That is basically how to sub two and how you can buy properties without coming out of pocket. If you like that type of information, by all means, it's free. Saturday, uh, February 19th, 2022. So it's coming up next week. Actually, like, what is today? 15th? 15th. So it's coming up in four days. So come join us. Really great folks uh, working with the Alpine Group. And uh, it's going to be fun. So it'll be Kendra and I believe Jamie. And we're going to go over this. Patty, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, this is what they do, guys. This is how they make their living. And so we ask people when they do something a lot and they're good at it, if they want to come explain it to others. And otherwise, uh, I mean, sub two is one of those really unique areas. There's a, a few other clients that we have that do really, really well in that space. And it's going to be fun. So it'll be, uh, somebody says, is it scheduled 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time? Is it, so, oh, somebody, see? Somebody sent out a wrong notice this morning. It was 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. No, it's 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can't drag me up that early. So uh, I received PSU and PSU stock from the company I work for. What are the advantages to net shares over net funds at distribution? With net shares, I do not have cash taken from my account to cover the taxes. I only receive the number of shares after the equivalent shares have been sold to cover taxes. With funds at distribution, I receive all of my shares vested, but have cash withdrawn to pay taxes due. All insights are welcome. What say you? 
Uh, anytime you have PSUs, restricted stock units, RSUs, any type of options from your company, there usually involves paying for the withholding on these things. And there's three ways to do it. Uh, the first one is you pay cash. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Like they said, you get all your shares. Let's time out for a second. It's just stock that you're getting because you're working. Right. So if somebody doesn't know what PSU, it just means they're paying you a stock. So you've done a really good job. Job. It's performance stock units or something like that. Yeah, I'm the Disney CEO. They can only pay me so much in cash, but they can give me all these stocks like stocks. Crazy. And- right. And it's taxable to you. You're being paid in mm-hmm. stock. So let's say that stock is worth 100 bucks and I pay Jeff with stock. There's tax withholdings. So go back. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, so th- there's a number of ways. There, well, there's three ways to pay for those stocks. Uh, the withholding on it. It's The first is paying in cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get to keep all the units that they issue you. Uh, the second way is you can sell some of those units, some of those stocks, which is a taxable transaction, but not really because there's probably no gain or loss on it. Mm-hmm. And that pays the tax. And the third way is this what... Uh, Net shares uh, is basically they're withholding the stock. Not everybody does this. Only certain companies uh, do this. I think I think that was that was actually what you were just going on. Is if I have a hundred shares at a hundred bucks a piece, the company is going to give you seventy shares and withhold the if it was thirty percent. Right, that's the net shares. Or you could actually fund. sell the stock, get all the, sh- the shares outright and sell them through Fidelity or Charles Schwab or whoever. So, so I think most companies, I mean, it really depends, but most companies want their, mm-hmm. they want the shares. So you have, as a company, as a company, you could just pay the cash with the withholding and you could keep the shares mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I'm going to give Jeff, let's say it's Jeff's getting 72 of the, of the hundred shares and the rest was withholding. I could sell the 28 shares and come up with the cash that way, or I could just pay it as the company and keep the 28 shares. I could give the whole hundred shares to Jeff, and then Jeff's going to have to come up with cash. Mm-hmm. Company's going to have to do withholding. It's going to have to come up with cash. Uh, the real advantage between this net shares and funds at distribution is if I pay cash for that, the withholding and all, not selling the stock, not having the mm-hmm. stock withheld, is I get more stock. Yeah. Possibly at a discounted value. And I also don't have a taxable transaction just from trying to pay for my taxes. Isn't that crazy? You pay taxes on taxes. You'd pay tax. Well, if you sold it, your basis would be when invested. Right. So that would be. The and I'm, think, I'm thinking it. more along the lines of where the grant price is actually much lower than the fair market value. Wouldn't that be taxable when you invest at the option price, though? Uh, I, I think that's true if. You do the 83B. That's a special election. Sorry. Yeah. You're talking about making the election to tax it to me now, as opposed to when it, no, I could actually choose at the lower figure and then I'm Mm -hmm. paying to, yeah, we'd have to play with it. There's so many different options when you're in these employee uh, situations where somebody's paying you with the stock. The end of the day is just know that when you receive something from an employer, chances are it's taxable too. So you know, the, the big question for you then is, do I want to come out of pocket and pay something? And the, the answer, so here, let's just talk about insight. If you think your company is going up, pay it with cash, pay the taxes with cash. That's exactly you, what if, I was thinking. Yeah. If you think the company is like going to be in kind of a doldrums, then use the money on something else. That's a better, better option. Then I would say, Hey, just give me the, the net shares mm-hmm. and I'll keep, and I'll keep my cash. So that's the way I would look at it. 
right now, inflation is melting everybody's ice cube of cash. Somebody told me that once. They said, hey, just think of it as though your cash is frozen and it's melting. And right now, inflation is melting at about somewhere around 10% a year. They could say 7.8 or 7.5 all they want. We know it's higher because we can actually see our bank accounts. It's really expensive to put gas in your car. It's really expensive to put food on your table. It's probably double digits right now for inflation. So you you know, re- realistically, don't have a lot of cash. Be invested in something else, in stock and equity. So equities usually are bolstered by inflation. It's uh, inflation and growth. Same thing with real estate. Uh, if you're a growth stock and you don't have a good underlying stock, then you'll get beat down. And then financial companies usually do well when the interest rates go up because they get to make more money. All right. Drivers for Grubhub, DoorDash, et cetera. Can you, this is a good one. Uh, can you document your starting and end your mileage from a central area uh, as you're required to, like you're supposed to be in a particular area when you work for, let's say, a Grubhub. You're, you're going to your, your, your area as you're required to start a shift to be in your assigned area. Not at your house, not where your, maybe your home office is, right? So you have to be somewhere else. If this is not correct, how do you document or start your mileage at first food pickup or the last house you deliver to? What say you, Jeff? I don't know. I, you may disagree with us, but I was kind of more leaning towards you're starting your day at your home. That, that's where I would go. So uh, I would have the uh, mileage IQ or whatever you're using. Get a get a get an app. It's called Mile IQ, and it'll GPS you, and you can swipe left or right if it's personal or business. Uh, especially for not so much the Grubhub, but just the Ubers uh, and all, where I know those people are driving while they're waiting on a pickup, and all of that mileage should be included, not just your miles while you're driving. It, and what we know for sure is that during COVID, all the states and the feds took the position that your car was not your uh, place of business, mm-hmm. so that it couldn't be shut down, right? So like, yeah, your home, wherever your office is, wherever you're doing your administrative tasks, Generally speaking, that's at a home office. That's where your day began. So assuming that you're working your entire time, uh, I turn it on when I leave the house and turn it off when I get back home. 100%. Get those mileage. And what is it? Uh, 58 cents a mile right now? I believe so. Yeah. So you you know, so you get 58 cents a mile. Resist the temptation to buy cars in a, in a business unless it's being used like ridiculously more than 50% for business. You drop below it, then there could be some bad, bad mm-hmm. occurrences. Plus, we don't care. You know, mostly uh, drivers I know, unless they're driving a uh, like a town car or something, and they're doing the, the uh, kind of the higher end stuff, or they're being a limo driver. Most of them are driving economical cars, where your mileage is actually going to start putting money in your pocket. The cars, you know, buy it for seven and seven to ten grand or something. A decent vehicle, older vehicle. And I can get a lot of miles out of that. Your 58 cents a mile is better than trying to write that vehicle off. All right. Can I start filing, filling, it looks like filling, filling tax, filing taxes for the LLCs I created for two of my rental homes, even though the real property deeds have not yet been transferred, filed, recorded to set LLCs? This is going to be that one of those that depends questions. And it really depends on how the LLC is being taxed. 100%. If they're disregarded to you personally, yeah, go ahead and report them on your 1040. Uh, the LLC is there more for liability protection than anything. 
if it's going through an entity, especially an S corporation or a corporation, and they're not titled to that entity, I think that's more problematic. You still have to file the taxes. You set up an LLC as tax as a partnership, and you have a you still have expenses. You have the startup expenses. You have the organizational expenses. You have the state fees. You have anything. You still have to file a tax mm-hmm. return for it, even though it might be a small loss. You don't get to report the income or loss from those real estate properties until they're in that LLC. Right. But that doesn't mean the LLC isn't doing something else. If it's an S corp, same situation. They're looking at it the, the earlier date of it, that it had members or shareholders uh, and or conducted business. So if it's just sitting there waiting for the properties, which don't put real estate in an S corp 99.9% of the time, there's a few cases where you might, but for the most part, we're probably talking about a partnership or a disregarded mm-hmm. entity. And in either case, you still get to, you could still file taxes. And, and a good example of this is I bought a property in January and created the LLC in July. We can't put income and expenses to that LLC when it didn't even exist. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys. Hey, if you like this type of information, again, there's YouTube. Uh, we have our podcasts. You can go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and listen. You can put us on, what is it, 1.5 time. That's what a lot of folks do. So they're able to get through this much faster. Especially and that first question. First question. First question was a doozy. But everybody loves real estate professional status. That's uh, what, 469C7 of the code. And it's just, a, it's actually pretty straightforward. It just has some moving pieces. Mm-hmm. All right. I am just starting out in real estate. I saw you on GoGo's weekly meeting, and I'm wondering if in my first year with very little sales, should I register as an LLC tax as an S-Corp or file as I normally would? So I'm assuming this is a uh, real estate agent. agent. I would imagine this is a real estate agent because that's GoGo, GoGo Bethke. She's a really good agent out there. I think uh, I won't say where. I don't want you guys to go hit her up, but she's uh, she has a really good team. And a lot of people follow her and it's all real estate agents. So I assume that's good. So if you didn't do a whole lot in 2021, I would not worry about it. Uh, If you think you're going to do a lot more sales in 2022, I I might look into that registering, electing, making an S election. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me be annoying here. Okay. Because uh, I'm good at it and I'm an attorney. So I just had a... A case uh, where we're, we're actually dealing with it, where a real estate agent represented a property. They disclosed a known condition on the property. The buyer actually had a person come out and inspect said property and close the deal. And then it turned out that the, the issue was more prevalent than they thought. In this case, it was termites. Disclosed it, did everything they're supposed to, now being sued, the lightning sued out of them. So normally I would say, hey, you know what? If it's not a risk activity, who cares? But I would say at a minimum, put an LLC around you so that if anything blows back on you, anything, they, they have to sue somebody for misrepresentation, the market crashes. Like we don't know when that's going to happen, but agents were getting blown up left and right in 2008, 9, 10, 11. Because again, people lose money, they get angry, they get lawyers. And they go after everybody. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that something that you do now isn't a liability occurrence that comes down the road five years from now. Uh, in chain of title issues, it could even be longer. I've seen them occur uh, more than a decade after a closing. 
So you just want to, and by the way, fraud, like things like fraud, where somebody's saying a, a lack of disclosure, your statute of limitations could even, it's when they discover it or should have discovered it. So it can be a long time from now. So at a minimum, I would put an LLC around it just to isolate the liability. So if I am a real estate agent, I don't have to worry about somebody coming after me, trying to take my other assets away, my home, my vehicles, my personal checking, any my investments. I don't want someone messing with me. So I'm going to put an LLC around it. And I could start it out as a disregarded LLC, meaning that it does not file a tax return. I'm filing as a sole proprietor. And up until about $25,000 of net profit, it's really kind of a, eh, at about 15,000 to 30,000, it's really right around 25,000. It's 1500 bucks that you're going to save per year by being an escort. Now you can make the S election on an LLC that's disregarded with one piece of paper, a 2553. Correct. If you don't make the election during the year, there's also ways to make a late election Mm -hmm. underneath a revenue procedure. So what would I say to somebody who's just starting out? I would say, set up an LLC, make it a disregarded entity. Let's see where the, the chips fall. And worst case scenario, if at the end of the year, you're doing way better than you thought, we make a late S election next year. Then yeah. it relates back to now. Perfect. Good call. That's just me. But I like to keep the options open. Sorry, I stomped on you, right? No, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I was and, expecting more annoyance than that. <laughs> well, and that goes with any business. Uh, somebody says, how do you make an LLC as a disregard? So, so Lim, when you, when you file, uh, when you get your tax identification number, it's called an SS4, the IRS does not know what an LLC is. So when you do an LLC SS4 and you get a tax ID for it, the IRS says, what are you filing? And if it is an LLC, is it going to file a tax return? Disregarded means, no, it's not going to file a tax return. It's good. All the income, all of the profits, all of the losses are going to flow under the owner's tax return as mm-hmm. though the owner made the money. So it's disregarded for tax purposes. The LLC is ignored. IRS doesn't know what an LLC is. If you say I'm filing as an LLC, Jeff will make fun of you because there's no such thing as filing as an LLC. You'll literally start going, oh, I missed that form in my million years of being a CPA, right? And at cocktail parties, you'll probably spit vodka out his nose or something like that. He'll be like, did you really just say that he's filed as an LLC? So like we, yeah, we, we really will make fun of you if, if you say things like that. I'm just kidding. It's ignored for tax purposes when it's disregarded. It would be funny to see you snort vodka. Out right. my nose? Yeah. We don't even drink. I've never seen you drink. I do it so seldom. Yeah, I'm not I'm not good at it. It makes me break out in spots. Under bridges, county jail, those kind of spots. Just kidding. (laughs) In part of New York, where I live, there are mother and daughter houses. If I purchase one as a primary residence, I'm just kidding. No, no under bridges. Stop it. Okay, in the part of New York where I live, there's a mother and daughter houses. If I purchase one as a primary residence and rent the side apartment, what are my options for tax savings? Am I able to write off expenses for that portion of the house, mortgage taxes, utilities, et cetera? Am I able to depreciate that portion of the house? 
And, and we're seeing these more and more in new builds, mother-daughter, next-gen, multi-gen, uh, where a part of the house is actually segregated from the rest of the house for mm. the, somebody's living space. Uh, so going back to your question, uh, you absolutely can write off some of these expenses, and it'll be a portion of expenses based on square footage or number of rooms or, or any uh, number of uh, ways to apportion those deductions. Yeah. So your personal house, you can't write anything off except the mortgage. And that's only if you itemize, right? Your real mm-hmm. estate taxes and your mortgage. Uh, but if you have a portion of it that's being used as investment property, then you take that percentage and you're going to uh, write that off against your investment income. So, you know, it's, again, it's going to create a passive yep. loss or it's going to offset that and create a passive uh, income stream from the rents. But uh, the tax savings, yeah, you're going to get to write off a portion of all of those things, mortgage, taxes, utilities. Plus, if you have any debt, you're going to be able to write off. Yeah, well, that's obviously the mortgage. But what else would we have on there? Uh, HOA fees, uh, repairs to the house in general. Property uh, management, if you have Property it. management, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then things you can write off directly are expenses for that part you're still going to need. House. You're going to need landlord insurance. So that portion of the insurance, like the portion of the insurance that that covers, plus any additional coverage to cover if you have a, a third party mm-hmm. there, you're going to want to make sure that you have that rider. And I would recommend that you get a, a umbrella policy. Period. Everybody should have an umbrella policy. They're so cheap. They're really just lawsuit uh, protection because they'll they'll cover the lawyers in most cases, even if it's disputed as to whether the claim's valid. And, and you know, while I'm not particularly a fan of renting out a room, I, I like this idea. We 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 actually consider doing this ourselves. Here's the uh, here here's the other deal. If you are uh, renting out a room in your house, you don't have depreciation recapture. If it's a third, if it's another unit, a separate structure, so it's not in the four walls of the home. That's what they say. Even though your house nowadays, I've seen these crazy houses that have ten walls, right? they just call it not in the main house, but it's a separate unit, then it's going to be depreciation recapture if you sell. So you'd have the capital gain exclusion on the main premises and you'd have some recapture and capital gain, not from the sale of a primary residence, but just normally, mm-hmm. which means hint, hint, you can 1031 that portion if you really want to. It's, it's almost like a separate, whole other separate rental property. Not a bad idea though, especially in New York. Again, we need we need places for people to live. We are underbuilt for folks that are making less than seventy five thousand dollars a year. So we're I think that we're going to see relaxed zoning in a lot of different states where they have they have issues, especially for uh, lower income folks, and all of that stuff starts coming into play. You start looking at that, you start saying, "Can I add on to it? Can I add an ADU? Can I add a, you know add something else? Auxiliary dwelling, yeah, by the way. Can I add something there for for housing?" All right. What is the best way to handle money that was gifted to children's ages one and three years old? What do I do with it so it doesn't affect them now, but could it, they could access it at 16 or 18 without penalties or fees? Uh, my best answer would be 529 plan. 529 plan that was gifted to them. So I suppose you could put it in a 529 if you're going to have them go to college or not college. But well, I, I, would gift it. I would gift it because there's that five-year gift you can do for 529 plans. I could put $80,000 into a 529 plan for a child this year. 
but I couldn't make any more gifts for the next four years to that child. To that child? I don't really mess with it. Here's the thing. If you have like an UGMA, a Uniform Gift to Minors mm-hmm. Act, like you're putting it into a, an account. So I, I imagine that grandma or grandpa or some third party gifted money to them. And now you are controlling said monies. If it is passive income, there's something called the kitty tax. And that just means that you as the parent would be paying tax on that income until they're 24, mm-hmm. 18 to 24, depending on whether you're still supporting them and they're going to college or whatnot. So they would have access to that money in theory at 18. And I don't think it's 16. I think it's actually 18 because they'd have to have the ability to contract. But generally speaking, that's what ends up happening. You pay the tax on any of the taxable events on your return as the parent. If it's active income, which I can't imagine that an investment would generate active income. I guess it's possible if you did a master partnerships or whatnot, but even then it'd be passive. Trying to think of a situation where it would be taxable to the child. I think if you threw it into some of these uh, publicly traded partnerships or something that might be generating. Possibly. There's a de minimis amount that wouldn't be taxable at all. I think it's like less than 2000, but and then if you have active income, they don't pay tax on the first, what is it now, $12,000. So mm-hmm. like, it's not bad as they get older if they have some active income. I just don't know how they would generate it. For the most part, it should be taxable to you uh, as long as it's over a certain amount. So depending on how much they gifted, it may have zero impact on you. It may have a small impact on you, but it won't hurt the ch- the children. Uh, so if it was gifted to the kids. Yeah, it's, it's about... The first eleven or twelve hundred is tax free. Mm-hmm. The next twelve hundred is taxed at the child's rate to the child. Okay, so then it's above that, and then above that, uh, so you're at twenty three, twenty four hundred dollars gets okay. taxed at the parents. I knew rate. it was some small amount. I just couldn't remember the rules. Um, standard deduction wouldn't kick in because it's standard deductions could be the lower earned income or. I'm saying that if they had a bunch of earned income. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So if somehow they ended up doing something where they had earned income, which again, they would have to be a little bit older and especially a teenager. Yeah. Maybe if they were a teenager and they were doing something where they used the money to invest in an active business. Actually, I I know of one situation where somebody did that. They opened up a restaurant and the kids were part owner in the restaurant. They worked in the restaurant. Then that isn't kitty tax, what they're earning there. But anyway, we're, this is why you have an accountant. It's probably going to go like what Jeff said, the 529 plan is a good place. If they're going to make gifts, that may be where they want to start putting it so that it's tax free. Mm-hmm. Or if you put it into a, a uniform gift to minors act account and the children would get it when they're, uh, when they're of age. And in the meantime, it wouldn't hurt them. Here's a good one. Can I sell my apartment building on an installment plan to avoid the large amount of taxes owed when I sell? Can I do a double escrow to accomplish this because I still have a small loan on the property? Yeah, you can certainly do an installment sale. Um, mm-hmm. It's a rental property. It's it's sub, It can be subject to installment sale. So you mm-hmm. only get taxed a piece at a time based on how much you receive. Installment sales is taking it out over multiple years. So it's not getting the payment all in one year. So right. you can have a five-year installment sale. You could have a 10-year installment sale, 30-year installment sale. And it's spreading out the taxes over that period. But what about this double escrow? Does that really do anything for them? It's not. You don't double escrow on this one. So in the case that you have a loan, like you're still going to have your basis. 
subtracted out of this thing and you're going to have depreciation recapture and you're going to have capital gain. So your the return of your basis is never going to be taxable. The recapture is going to be taxable max at 25% and your mm-hmm. capital gains could be maxed out at uh, 20. If you have net investment income tax, it could be 23 plus your state taxes, but you're spreading out over the, the period that you're receiving it. If you have a small loan on the property, then they could be buying it subject to that loan. If you're not going to pay off the loan, in which case, again, you're just, hey, it's subject to that loan. It's treated as though it's their loan now. You, you don't have a taxable event there. It's, again, it's spreading it out over the life of the, re- the return of the monies. That loan really has nothing to do with your tax hit. has to do with your, again, return of basis, zero, recapture, zero to 25, Long-term capital gain, zero to 20 is how that breaks out. And what do you usually put it on a spreadsheet or something on an installment sale? Yeah, because like you said, we're going to have those factors. The Oh, and interest. And interest from that they owe. If you have a subject to, like you're saying, uh, where they're just paying off your loan, that actually counts as proceeds during for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what your installment. It wouldn't have anything to do with your tax. It would have to do with the buyer's taxes because now the interest is mm-hmm. being credited towards them but uh you didn't pay any interest in theory when you have somebody else pay your loan so it's like oh so you're yeah it won't it won't affect you and you don't have to double escrow should my personal bank accounts and life insurance policies be owned by the same trust it's okay to do that i'm, I'm not a huge fan because i'm not sure what it does for you I know for larger policies, they, we talk about the life insurance trust, but those are typically irrevocable trust. Right. So your personal bank account would not be in the same trust that was, if a trust was designed to hold and own a policy and you wanted it outside of your estate, so it's called an irrevocable life insurance trust, you would not pers- put your bank account into it. But by this question, I assume you mean like a living trust, Yeah. in which case there's no liability in either one. We don't care. So your personal bank account and your life insurance policies could still be in there. The reason that you do that is you would have, usually you have named beneficiaries. Here's a bunch of cash. But let's say that I have children and I want the proceeds to go to those kids, but I don't want to just give it to them. You could have the beneficiary in that case be the trust that has restrictions on the payout. So it could go to your living trust and then it's the beneficiary. So Let's say I have a cash value policy and I've taken substantial loans against it. Does any of that change what you do with it? Not really. It's, you know, whenever we're looking at an asset, you look at, like, let's say this, this horrible coffee cup here. This is my beautiful art of me drawing a, a bull. Uh, let's say that this hot coffee is a liability. The bank accounts and insurance policies are not hot. There's nothing that I'm worried about causing burns inside of this cup. Neither one of those is hot. But if I mix hot with cold, I'm contaminating the the cold water now with this hot water that could cause it issues. So we wouldn't put something hot and a hot asset would be like real estate. It's risky. It's going to bring along liabilities. I wouldn't put that in there in the same cup with something that has no risk like a brokerage account or my personal bank statements, right? So that's all we're doing. So if we have a trust, handy dandy trust, and I have two cold assets, things that don't create liability, I'm putting in that. I don't really care. I'm not too worried about this. The sailor on this sailboat should have life insurance for him and his passengers as they do not have life preservers on. Oh, just saying. 
assailant should have his life insurance and him and his passengers. I'm not sure if I follow that, but that's interesting. I have to process that one. David, you got me. <laughs> Thoughts on primary house on an LLC managed by a C-Corp show the taxes HOVs. No, you wouldn't do that. So Jay, that's still personal assets, even if you put it into an LLC. All right. Are charitable contributions made from our partnership considered tax deductible? Yes. Contrib- charitable contributions made by partnerships and S-Corps are considered charitable contributions made by the partners and the shareholders. Mm-hmm. It just passes through. So passes if, through. If it, was, if it would be deductible to you as an individual, it's deductible as it flows through to you from a partnership. Yeah. So if Jeff and I are two individuals and we've maxed out our charitable contributions for the year and we make excess charitable contributions out of the partnership, it just comes to us. Mm-hmm. So if I've maxed out mine and Jeff hasn't maxed out his, he would get to write it off. I would carry it forward into future years. So i make sure that works. Last one. Hey, there's me. There's Toby. Uh, that's YouTube. So if you like stuff, this is what we do. They make me do goofy poses now. Like, your assets are invisible. That's a good one. Uh, I'm flipping you off in the second one. Or no, I'm saying number one. <laughs> I like it. See, child gaffed. Yeah. Anyway, join us. Uh, sign up, subscribe, and uh, we always will give you more of it. You can see right there, Tax Tuesday Q&A, your tax questions live. We are streaming this on YouTube, so you could always come in and watch Tax Tuesday on YouTube and watch uh, recordings and all that good stuff after. Uh, we have a lot of fun. If you have questions, by all means, send them to Jeff Webb at, no, I'm just kidding, at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. Uh, we'll make sure that we get you an answer. It doesn't cost you a nickel. And uh, visit us at Anderson Advisors. We always are pretty easygoing when it comes to giving out information. We don't play hide the ball. We'd rather you be educated and we have a lot of fun. So uh, thanks, Jeff, for standing by and bailing Toby out when needed. See, (laughs) I do need They are so mean to you. uh, I deserve it sometimes. No, but we have a good time. Hope you do too. Got to say thank you to Elliot, Christos, Dutch, Troy, Pio, Matthew, I'm probably missing. Dana was on, Patty was on, Anders on. Like we have a big team, probably 10 people just there answering questions. They answered written questions of 154 questions. We don't charge anything for this. Uh, we get way more than we deserve. So we always figure it's smart to give, 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 give. Uh, and so that's kind of our motto. The, the rest of it, the universe takes care of us. All right, uh, I'm going to zow, bow out with Jeff, and but we're going to leave this still going so you guys can get your questions answered. Uh, he says, y'all have a great team. Absolutely, we do. We are very lucky that we have really smart people who uh, are tireless workers who are willing to help. So, uh, yeah, we are lucky. I'm lucky. You lucky? I'm lucky. I'm luckier than we deserve. I've heard that before. All right, guys, until uh, next, not the next Tuesday, but we'll see you at the next Tax Tuesday in two weeks. In the meantime, send us your questions. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 